We're going to talk about the blood tonight. Amen. Yeah. About time some preachers got up and preached on the blood. And I don't mean just the fact that he shed it either. I think the importance of the blood is important tonight. Yes. Amen. So tonight, Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to thank you, Lord, for your shed blood on Calvary. Lord, without your blood, there would be no hope. Not one hope of us ever making it into heaven. Lord, we ask you tonight that, Lord, as we look at your word and the importance of the blood, Lord, would you help us to understand the importance of your blood, not to mention how unique it is, Lord. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now, of course, Danny, you might even want to consider this as part of a cult sermon in a way. Because the JWs don't believe this. Mormons don't believe this, and they certainly don't want you to hear this. They say, how could Jesus be man and yet be God? Well, we shouldn't argue with the Father God because he can do anything he wants to as a good response is in Luke one thirty-seven. Well, actually, we're going to get very close to that verse tonight, Danny. And I want you to follow along with what we're going to say tonight because this here is going to take care of that question. When you understand the blood of Jesus... And understand his physical makeup. And I say physical makeup. You're going to understand how he was 100% God. And 100% man. Yes. You don't hear many preachers preach on this. But it's about time somebody steps up to the plate and says, Look, here is how it is. And it's in the Bible. All you got to do is read it. First of all, we need to understand how unworthy our blood is. See, we inherited something from Adam called sin. Danny, I want you to read me Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. Romans 5 and 8 tonight. We need to understand where we stand. And while he's getting that, Ruthie, I want you to read me Romans chapter 3 verses 10. And then drop down to 23, okay? 310, 323, but Danny's going to read us 5 and 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now drop down to verse 12, Danny, of the same chapter. Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Now you notice, see, Christ died for the ungodly while we were yet sinners. Excuse me, anybody listening tonight, let me tell you, Christ loves you no matter what you've done, no matter where you're at, he loves you. He is not here to judge you, as it says in John chapter 3 and 17, but rather, according to John 3, 16, he loves you. And even in... Romans, it says, because he commends or directs his love toward us, that he died. 
You notice? That's how he showed his love is by dying for us on the cross. So we need to understand the importance of that. Now, like I said, but yet we were sinners and death was passed upon all men because all of sin. Now let's look at Romans 3, number 10, and then 23, Ruthie. Here's 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And then 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see? Nothing you could do to get in. You're not worthy. You are unworthy. According to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Hello, JWs. You can't. Mormons and hello, SDAs. You can't make it in on what you do. You can't make it in. So what is going to make it worthy and worth? How can God accept anybody who is imperfect? He cannot. So he had to have a perfect sacrifice. A perfect sacrifice in order for us to know him. So, now Danny, I want you to go to Hebrews. Okay. The great blood book. A lot of people don't know it as a great blood book, but this book is covered in blood. Here we go. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, Hebrews chapter 9. Want okay. You, want you go 1 to 14 tonight. Okay. Hebrews chapter 9. Old Testament ceremonies were types of of the new. And verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant, and over and over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now... When these things were thus ordained, the priests were always into the first tabernacle accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. Hold, Danny, hold, hold right there. Now, we want to stop you for a minute. We need to understand this. It says that in the Old Testament, hello Mormons, in the Old Testament, there was a tabernacle. In that tabernacle, there were three parts. The outer court, where they had the offering in the altar, the brazen altar. Then you went inside to a little room in the front part of the tent. There was another altar where you could have, which is the golden altar, where you had your incense, which was to represent prayer. Then, beyond that was a veil or a curtain, and behind that curtain is the Holy of Holies. 
Now, it says that the priest every day had to come and shed blood of animals every day, a daily sacrifice. We all studied this, so those of you that haven't studied with us in Leviticus, you need to call me, and we're going to have us a study in Leviticus, and you'll tell us what we're talking about. Go study out Leviticus. They had to daily sacrifice. Every morning, every evening, they had to sacrifice. Shedding blood. But, once a year. Now, he was every day taking and uh, sacrificing blood to atone for different sins. The priest was. But once a year, the high priest had to go in with, of course, there were two goats. One, they laid hands on it, and he was made the scapegoat. And he went out out in the wilderness, and he was set free while the other one who was the Lord's goat was killed, the blood was shed. Hello, Mormons. The blood was shed and it was taken into the Holy of Holies. And something that a lot of people don't know is, Danny, when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, you know what they had to do? They tied a rope around one of his ankles. Oh, wow. Because... They knew they couldn't, the other priests could not enter the Holy of Holies, and if God would have struck the high priest dead in the Holy of Holies, they had to have a way to get him out of there. So they tied a rope around his ankle just in case. That way, if he fell dead at the presence of God while he was in there putting the blood on the uh, mercy seat, that they could drag him out without having to go in there after him. So it says that once a year he had to go in with the, hello Mormons, blood and sprinkle the blood because that was a sign of the covenant, the Old Testament covenant. He had to sprinkle the blood, uh, hello, for his sins. It means he was a sinner. And for the sins of the people. It didn't take a scientist to figure out that that high priest was a sinner too. It's right here. He was a sinner, and that's why he had to shed, uh, sprinkle blood and shed blood for himself and the people by the killing of a goat. Okay, now continue on, Danny. Okay, now. Uh, okay, so I'm in, in 9-8. Okay, the Holy Ghost, this signifying that the, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time that uh, present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices, thou could not make him that did the sacrifice perfect as pertaining to the conscience. Hold it, hold it, right there. Now notice, what did he just say? Even though that old tabernacle was there, all that shedding of that blood could not, notice the word, could not make them perfect. The sacrifice was a tainted sacrifice. It was only there to build a scaffold to the real sacrifice. It was a type of foreshadowing of the real sacrifice, Mormons. That means... The Old Testament had blood. The New Testament has to have blood to be the New Testament. There had to be a shedding of blood. 
But this time it had to be good, perfect blood. Go on, Danny. Uh, <clears throat> which which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation, but Christ being coming, come a high priest. yeah. Good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not not made with hands. Uh huh. Is to say, not of this building. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. Huh? Say that again. Into the body. Whose blood? Into the holy place, excuse me. Having obtained eternal redemption for us. Say that verse again, Danny, verse 12. Whose blood? Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. (laughs) Yeah. Entered in once. Yeah. To the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Uh, did he have to go in every year? No, sir. Uh, how many times? One time for all. Hello, Catholics. He's not on the cross. Oh, SDAs. It's not by blood and goats and keeping the Sabbath. Hello. Come on, Danny. Keep going. Verse 13 before I shout here. Yeah. For if the blood of bulls and of goats... And the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, through the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot to God, purged your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Uh, hello. Do you get what that is saying? That the blood of Christ had to be better. It had to be pure, sinless blood in order for him to be our Messiah, to be our sacrifice. The sacrifice God demanded was a perfect sacrifice on the cross, not a sinner. Now now get this. It says here that he sit, and it says, says that... He only had to go once into the holy place, having obtained not, hello, charismatics, not until you sin again. Yes. Not until you pick up the next cigarette or whatever. It says eternal redemption. Got to circle that. Woohoo! Hello, eternal redemption. Not until you guess so, hope so, maybe so. The Bible says you can know so. Hello, 1 John 5, 7. You can know. You don't have to hope that you're going to be saved because of your works. You can know it. These things have I written unto you that you may know that you have, present tense, eternal life. But the reason you don't know you have eternal life is you probably been, you're still probably under the works of bloods of bulls and goats by your works of your quit this and quit that to get in. Hello? Uh-uh. The, the thing that saves me is the blood of Christ. Yes. Now, what is so special about the blood of Christ? Well, let me first make a point here. In the Old Testament, 
There were more than one way to do away with a sinner. It said if there was found a harlot in the city or a false prophet, you could stone them to death. But by stoning, they would not have shed their blood. They just would have died. There would have been a crumpled heap. Okay? There was only one way a person could shed his blood, and that was through the New Testament crucifixion. But don't tell me that stoning wasn't around during the days of Christ because, hello, read your Bible, what did the Pharisees and Sadducees want to do with the woman caught in adultery? They said they brought her to Jesus, set her down at his feet, and you guarantee there was, uh, uh, the, she didn't, if they caught her in the act of adultery, I'm not going to, I don't want to be too graphic, but I'm going to say it this way, she didn't have a chance to get no clothes. They probably snatched her up by the hair of her head and drug her out of the house, naked and in shame. They brought her before Jesus. Now think about this. Hello, the Old Testament law said that you were supposed to bring both the man and the woman and stone them both for it. Excuse me, why is it only just the woman? And they said, well, Master, this type of person, when we caught him in the adultery, we should be stoning him. And he said, okay, if you, that's what the law says, fine, but the one of you that's without sin, you could do it. You could cast the first stone. So stoning was still available. And excuse me, don't tell me it wasn't. What happened to Stephen? Hello, stoning was around. They stoned Stephen. So we need to look at this. Why is the blood of Christ so important? Well, according to John 1.1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, if Jesus was 100% man, and we know he was because he was born of a woman, how could he be God? A.W. has often asked that. Well, we're going to answer that tonight. First, I want you to go to Luke chapter 1 and verse 35. We're going to let Ruthie read this. Luke 1 and 35. We need to take a look at some important issues here. Luke 1, 35. And take it all the way to 37, Ruthie. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. How far do you want to go? 37. Oh, that was it. Okay. All right. But you notice, he said that this child would be born of Mary. Now, she was virgin. I'm going to make that point here right now. She was a virgin. The scriptures say so. She was a virgin. She had not known man earlier in the chapter. 
as you continue to read, she says to the angel, how shall these things be? I never knew a man. That means she never had sexual relations with any man. She was virgin. Now, we need to take a little gynecology lesson right here. When a child is born, when it is conceived in the mother's belly, when the sperm and egg come together, as you well know, a woman has a XX chromosome. That means female. But the male is XY. Now, but in a man in a woman's egg cell, all she has is one of the X's. Now, when the man has in his sperm cell, he has either an X or a Y chromosome in that one sperm cell. And it just, it depends on which one reaches the egg as to what the child will be. But that is so that the child, when it's in the mother's body, have you ever wondered why the mother does not reject the child that's in her body? even though it is a foreign growth beginning, that's because the flesh of the child comes from the mother. So women, when you say, when you're having that baby and you say, this is uh, blood of my flesh in my flesh, this is my own flesh and blood growing in my belly. When you say you got your own flesh and blood right there, excuse me, you're half right. You're only half right. If you ever go ask any gynecologist, they'll verify this. In the placenta, the baby's blood goes through blood vessels that come and line up directly with the mother's blood vessels in the uterus, but they never mix. And how they're able to tell the baby's father is because all they got to do is a blood test. Because the baby's blood is the same as the father's. So the father's blood is what the child's blood will be. So... Danny, when you were born, your mother gave you your flesh, but your blood come from daddy. Ruthie, when you were born, the flesh came from mama, your blood came from daddy. When I was born, it was no different. Well, hello, if Mary was a virgin, she had no earthly husband, and it says, notice what it just said here, there's the key. It says, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you and overshadow you. Now, this is not the Virgin Mary and the Holy Spirit having sexual relations, Ellen G. White. Hello? This is the Holy Spirit overshadowing. And it says, now wait a minute, Mary becomes the mother. And he shall be the child of who? the Most High, whose blood was running through Jesus' veins. Hello, if Mary was the mother, gave the flesh to Jesus, 
That would mean he was 100% man because of his flesh. But he had 100% of God's blood running through his arteries and veins. That made him 100% God. Hello? It don't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. If you got 100% of your mama's flesh in your body and 100% of your daddy's blood running through your veins, that tells you you're the child of your mama and daddy. Well, the same, by the same token, if Jesus had the flesh of mama, which is the flesh of man, but yet has the blood of God running through his veins, which is an incorruptible blood, guess what that means? He was 100% God too. Hello? Now, let's look, Danny, over in... What's that one in Hebrews 2? Hebrews chapter 2. 2 and 14, Danny. Now, I want you to take a close look at this verse. And all of you that are healthy Christians, get your pen or pencil and get ready to make a note here. Because we're going to talk about something about the blood of Christ that I've already started and I'm going to finish it right here. Hebrews 2.14, Danny. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Okay, now, let's take a look at this. Let's take a close look at it. It says, the children, that's us, we are, you can put your own name over the word children if you like. Yes. Danny, you are the children that take part of, what does it say? Flesh and blood. That means your flesh from mama, your blood from daddy. Right. But he, right above the word he, you put Jesus. Yes. Took Part. Huh? Part of the same. What part did he take? The flesh. The flesh. But what part did he not take? The corruptible blood. He did not take the corruptible blood from man. He took his blood from God the Father. That's how he was able to overcome him that has the power of death, that is the devil. That's how he's able to overcome the devil, and death is because he had incorruptible blood running through his veins without a pure blood he could never have entered into the holy place and obtain eternal redemption for us. He could not have done it. But now look at what something the Bible says that Paul said. Or I should say not Paul, but um, Peter. As he's speaking in Acts, they're preaching and they're talking about the, the blood, they're talking about Jesus in, what is that Acts, what Ruth? 
2 and 27. We're talking about Peter, that's right. We are talking about Peter. As he's doing his sermon up there, I love this, y'all. Hello, any good sermon ought to bring the blood of Jesus into it. Amen. He says, now something in 2.27, Ruth, I want you to listen to what he's saying and read this here. He's talking about Jesus now. 2.27. Okay, she's getting it here. Wait for the rustling of leaves here. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Now Peter here is quoting from the Psalms. And what is he saying? He is saying that Jesus is saying, you're not going to leave my soul in hell. And here's the key. Neither let my soul see corruption. Now, wait a minute. When Lazarus raised from the tomb, what was Mary and all those folks worried about? Oh, Master, come on. By now, he must surely stink. Mary and Martha, what was they worried about? They were worried about Lazarus smelling and being around stinky because... He had, his body had started to decay, and he was corrupt. That's what corruption is. As your body decays, it's, it decays. What it was saying is, Jesus' body would not decay even though he was in the tomb for three days. You ever notice that? Name me one time in the scripture when Jesus rose from the dead, someone said... Ew, Jesus, you stink. You smell like you've been in the grave for three days. Give me a clothespin for my nose. No, you don't find that in the Bible because he never did decay. Because there was no corruption. He had God's blood running through his veins and thus he never corrupted. He never decayed, and he, when, when the stone was rolled back on that Sunday morning, hallelujah, our Savior walked out of the tomb and smelled just as fresh as He did when He died on Calvary. Hello? Hello? Yes. He, so when Christ died, now think about this. As He's out on that cross... Shedding his blood for you and for me. That was not any ordinary blood being shed. That blood was God's blood. And let me tell you something. Hello, uh, you could quote me on this if you like. Every drop of that blood is still in existence today. Hello. Why? Because God's got it. Jesus still has that blood running through his veins up in heaven. And guess what? It's that same Jesus who's coming back to take us home. But if you don't have him, you need to get him. Hello. 
Okay, there's one left then. Danny, I want you to take us to our last scripture tonight. I want you to go to, back to Hebrews chapter 9. And I want you to look at chapter 9 and verse 27. And while you're looking at that, Danny, Ruth, I want you to go over to John chapter... Actually, I'll do this one myself. John 3. I'm going to do John 3. So, Danny, give me 9 and 7. Hebrews 9 and 27. Hallelujah. Thank you for the blood. As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Hello. Tonight, I want to ask you, where are you going to be? The Bible says there's only one, you think you're okay now, but when you die, then comes the judgment. There's going to be a judgment. We all have to go through it. And the only thing that's going to make you righteous is when you walk in front of Christ with the blood of Christ. As it says, remember back in, as we started tonight, Exodus chapter 12. It talked about the blood being put on the doorpost. The lintel and doorpost will be the equivalent of the two sides and the top. Well, if you look at a cross, how many blood marks were on the cross? Three. One at the feet and one at each hand. It was a foreshadowing of that sacrifice that Christ would make. So do you have those three blood marks on the doorposts in the middle of your heart's door? Do you have the blood of Jesus marking that? But preacher, how do you know he wants to give it to me? The Bible says it's very easy. There was a rich man named Nicodemus. He was a very smart person according to scriptures. He knew all there was supposed to be. He was a teacher. And he came to Jesus, and it's interesting that he came by night. You wonder if A, he was just afraid to be seen with Jesus and worried about his buddies, or if he had a real urgency to know what Christ had to say. But in either case, he came to Jesus by night. So I'm not going to speculate over whether Nicodemus was in a hurry to know of Jesus or if he was just worried about being spotted with him. But in either case, he comes to Jesus and he says, to Jesus, you know, I know that you come from God. He said, I know you're come from God. There's no way you're going to know all the stuff you know unless God is with you. And Jesus said, in John 3 and 3, Ye must be born again. No, that doesn't mean, as Nicodemus thought, that you're going to crawl back up in mama's womb and become born a second time. No. He said, that's born of the flesh. Your physical body is born of the flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is born of spirit. 
It talked about in the verse just before that, he says that, that you're born of water and of the Spirit. The water is your mama's birth when, you, when the water broke. So he says you, you're either born, you're first born of the Spirit, born of the, the flesh, then you're born of the Spirit. Now let me ask you a question. That tells you something, doesn't it? There are two deaths and two lives, two births. There are those who are born but once physically. They're going to die twice. They're going to die physically, and then they're going to die for eternity in hell. And that hurts me to say that people are going there, but they're going of their own choice. Or you could be in the second crowd, which are born twice. You're born of the flesh and then born of the Spirit, and you only die physically. Because then you'll have eternal life in heaven. But how do I know God wants to give that to me? He said, as you go down in that same chapter, chapter 3, for God so loved you, the world, that you, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, that's you again, believeth in him, that's Jesus, and his blood, believeth in him, should not perish, that means you don't go to hell, but have everlasting life. Now take a listen at this. For God sent not his Son, that's Jesus, into this world, this earth called planet, the planet earth. He didn't send Jesus to this earth, didn't send Jesus to the world to condemn the world, that's you, the people. But that the world, the people, each individual person might be saved. So you could be saved tonight. If you don't know Jesus, you can be saved. Ask Him tonight as we give the invitation. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for Your blood, Lord. We thank You, Lord, that it's not just the common blood of any man, Lord, that was shed. But, Lord, it was Your blood that was shed on Calvary. Lord, it was God's blood God, it was your blood who was shed for us. And Lord, we can never pay for that kind of salvation. Lord, there ain't nothing we can do. You said so in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. You said so in Titus 3, 5, Lord, that there's not one thing we can do to be saved. But Lord, you told us in your word, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, you told us if we would just confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus... And believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead. That we would be saved. That by the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And then, Lord, you told us in Romans 10 and 13, Whosoever, that's any one of us, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, we pray for the people now as they listen to this, that they have not been saved, that they would just take, grab a hold of that blood sacrifice, dip it in the old hyssop, and mark the lintel and the side posts of their heart's door so that when the death angel comes by, the destroying angel that lets people go to hell, that he sees the blood mark and says, well, I can't take this one. I can't take this one to hell. 
They're going to have to go to heaven because they're, they belong to Christ. Lord, help us. Help us to always stand for you. Lord, for those that are not saved, we pray for them right now. Lord, help them to come to you as we give this invitation in the name of Jesus. Amen.